there is a general sense of shock and fear, especially fear to relieve the painful period of 2014 and 2016, when the Ebola outbreak took the lives of more than 2,500 Guineans. Gladys Archange is a country representative for Catholic Relief Services in Guinea. Over the past week, her organization has been responding to some grim news. Ebola is back. Could this be the start of a fresh epidemic? Health officials racing to contain the outbreak before it spreads across the country's poorest borders. After a spate of new cases, Guinean health officials declared an Ebola epidemic on February 14th. That came days after a separate resurgence of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Guinea's new cases are the first in West Africa since 2016, when a two-year outbreak ravaged the region, leaving more than 11,000 people dead. And now, the virus has returned. I'm really surprised. Given the current situation in Guinea, we Guineans are struggling with the COVID-19 pandemic. And now with Ebola, it will be a real disaster. Guinea is one of the poorest countries in the world. And in addition to Ebola and recent outbreaks of yellow fever and measles, it's also, of course, coping with the global pandemic. It's important to be reminded that the global health crisis with COVID has shown us the limited capacity of even the biggest countries in the world. COVID-19 has also shown the inequities of the international vaccine system, which includes the Ebola vaccine too. Scientists developed that vaccine during the last West African epidemic. But Guinea's leftover doses from that outbreak have expired, and the global stockpile of Ebola vaccines is based in Geneva, where there are no Ebola cases. So what does this mean for West Africa as it tries to curb the spread of Ebola? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. To learn more about the outbreak in Guinea, we talked to Nicholas Huck. He's a correspondent for Al Jazeera in West Africa. This is the first outbreak of Ebola in Guinea since the last epidemic ended around five years ago. What can you tell us about the circumstances around this outbreak? How did it come back? Well, this is the question that all researchers and scientists are trying to figure out. There's clearly a resurgence in the same location. We're talking here about the forest region of Guinea bordering Liberia. Towards the end of January, a nurse developed symptoms. Those included fever, vomiting, and headaches. On January 18th, that nurse went to a health center where she was diagnosed with typhoid. Then a second consultation diagnosed her with malaria. And then on January 28th, she died. Soon after the funeral, attendees began showing the telltale signs of the disease, diarrhea, vomiting, and bleeding. And that's when health authorities understood that she had died from Ebola. Wow. How equipped is Guinea's healthcare system to deal with Ebola right now? 
We're still dealing with health centers that have very little access to to electricity, so that suffer from frequent power cuts and also have water shortages. So this Ebola outbreak is happening in places where medical centers are just ill-equipped to deal with such outbreaks. And so doctors are having to rely on lateral thinking in terms of trying to figure out ways to contain the outbreak. It's as simple as trying to get a patient into a ward and isolating them. Even before that, it's trying to rebuild the trust between the communities and the health centers. Part of that lack of trust comes from what Nicholas calls a colonial aspect of tropical medicine. It's often white Western doctors coming deep into these villages to do their research and treat patients. And that mistrust can be deadly in more than one way. So the nurse was buried in a place called Gueku, which is just by the border of Liberia. Back in 2014, during Guinea's last epidemic, a village in that same region became the site of an infamous killing. In Guinea, a humanitarian team fighting the Ebola outbreak has been attacked. They were raising awareness about Ebola. Some villagers still believe health teams spread the virus. The key issue here is to try to rebuild trust between the communities and health authorities. And you might wonder, why why would villagers be so distrustful of health services? That's because during the last outbreak, they would see men and women in these white dark vaders suit take their children take their loved ones to medical centers to never see them again people were not allowed to bury their loved ones and that left a deep trauma for the people of guinea sierra leone and liberia i couldn't even control myself when i learned that ebola had returned to guinea because of what the virus did in 2013 and 2014 While that last outbreak started in Guinea, it quickly spread throughout the region. That's why neighboring countries like Liberia and Sierra Leone are already on alert. The enemy is this virus that lives in your loved ones, that can be transmitted through a kiss. And so it sets in this fear. And that's why right now for health workers and governments in the region, it is a race against time to get onto the ground and to try to um, trace those contact cases. And there's obviously this fear right now of given that this outbreak is happening just at the border of Guinea and that effectively, you know, those borders were drawn from, you know, colonial times. These people crossed the border for trade all the time, whether it be the border of Guinea and the northern border of Liberia or Sierra Leone. This is a place of huge um, movement of people because of trade. Well, there's a huge fear that the virus could be coming their way. As we speak, the World Health Organization is working on a targeted vaccination campaign in these affected areas. And along with some humanitarian groups, they announced an Ebola vaccine stockpile earlier this year. Today, WHO announced the establishment of a global Ebola vaccine stockpile. This will allow countries with the support of humanitarian organizations to contain future Ebola epidemics by ensuring timely access to vaccines for population at risk of outbreaks. What can you tell us about the stockpile? The whole kind of irony about this whole vaccine situation, which is those doses are not in West Africa where countries are being affected by the virus. They're in Geneva and countries and places where there is no 
Ebola viruses. So there's a deep injustice in, in the lack of access to medicine in places where people need it the most. This virus has been around for 40 years, but it really took the last outbreak for a vaccine to come out because the world was just so afraid of Ebola. Remember, there was such stigma associated with people who were in this region. But the silver lining, of course, is that there was all this research done specifically in Liberia. And I had met these people that had gone through various experimentation. Doctors like Phil Ireland, who survived Ebola himself, are now testing a new vaccine on survivors. It has shown positive results. The soldiers in the body learn how to fight the Ebola. So when they get the Ebola from the environment, okay, they already know how to, the body already know how to fight the disease and defeats the disease. Liberians, people who were infected with the virus, those that died but also those that recovered, were key in the research to develop the vaccine. And yet, all those vaccines are in Geneva or in the United States. And so, for many Liberians, there's a sense of injustice. There's a feeling that they were used as guinea pigs. The World Health Organization is sending Guinea more than 11,000 doses of the vaccine, along with more than 100 experts. But there's been a delay between the declaration of the epidemic and those vaccines actually arriving in Guinea. There seems to be, to my personal perspective, a hoarding of those vaccines. I don't know why, but it seems strange that these vaccines that are available are not in areas where people are affected by the virus. As Nick mentioned, the World Health Organization's global stockpile is based in Geneva. The U.S. has its own stockpile, too. And the other issue is the small number of doses in the first place. When the stockpile was announced, the World Health Organization and others said the goal was to have 500,000 doses. The purpose of having a stockpile is an insurance to have in place vaccine available in case there is an outbreak. But when that announcement was made last month, the stockpile contained less than 7,000 doses. When there are such outbreaks, why is that? Is it because it's not profitable to make Ebola vaccines? Is it because it's affecting people that are poor and therefore it's not really important? Is it, why is that? I don't know what the answer to that, Malika, is, but it makes me really angry that these people and don't have access to vaccines. And that's just Ebola vaccines. Then there are the COVID vaccines, which are far more in demand around the world. And, you know, this is all happening, like you mentioned, during a global pandemic. And on the radio this morning, as, as I was walking my dog, we we're like, we're listening to other countries being vaccinated at this French vaccination centre, it's time for these patients to get their second dose. Millions of doses of the vaccine have been dispatched to mass vaccination centres around the EU. An additional 200 million vaccines have been ordered with the aim of fully inoculating 300 million Americans. All these rich countries that have dosage of vaccines, and here we have nothing. A few dozen Ghanaians have received Russia's Sputnik COVID vaccine, including President Alpha Conde and the country's in talks to receive a few hundred thousand more doses. But the issue of vaccine hoarding is something the UN's worried about. The head of the UN is pressing for a global vaccination plan, criticizing what he called their widely uneven and unfair distribution. 
Antonio Guterres says Wednesday that 10 countries have administered 75 percent of the doses so far, but 130 others have yet to even start. You know, for me, it's, it's personal. My, my parents worked in tropical medicine, and they, this is what they devoted their life to, to ensuring that people in remote areas could have a yellow fever vaccine or that there was research done to protect vulnerable populations. But the reality is, it seems that it's very difficult for these countries here to develop their own research and to develop their own pharmaceutical needs, to be self-sufficient. So having the vaccines in the world is one thing. Getting them to people who need them is an entirely different question. What are some of the logistical challenges and things that have to be thought about. The Ebola vaccine needs to be kept at minus 70 degrees Celsius. Now imagine, Malika, transporting a vaccine dose that needs to be kept at minus 70 degrees Celsius in a place where it, it averages 30 degrees Celsius and is hot and humid, where you can't even store the place. So, you know, the logistics of it is a nightmare. And that perhaps explains why some of these doses have been kept in, in, in other countries. Nick also says Guinea's government and international health authorities must explain why Guinea's store of Ebola vaccines had expired. Why didn't they anticipate this and try to replace those doses? But there is an inherent challenge right now is to try to get those vaccines that need to be kept at super low temperatures in countries where it's hot and humid. But despite those challenges, Nicholas says there are still reasons to have hope. As someone who covered the aftermath of the 2013 to 2016 outbreak, what are you feeling right now? And what do you think is important for people to take away from this? On one side, it's incredible that we have a vaccine. To a certain extent, the world is better prepared than any times before to deal with this Ebola outbreak. It also shows how global of a community we are. So if we don't contain this Ebola outbreak deep inside Guinea's forest, there is a real risk that one day it will come to you, Malika, or to someone living in the UK or France or Southern Africa. It is in the interest of all to try to contain this outbreak and to try to help those health workers that are really on the front line and their key, those people, those doctors and nurses from Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone, they're the one that will be able to stop the virus from spreading. And so I think here is an opportunity to give them more resources, more vaccines, more kit, so that they can help the communities that need it the most right now. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai with Alexandra Locke, Priyanka Tilbe, Dina Kispe, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back. <laughs>